0: There, was, uh, there were tears and hanging on each other and questioning and questioning why, why. Then I looked at the family that had been on staff at his hill and I watched them stand there, obviously grieving and in pain, but there was a confidence. There was peace and there was rest. So much to the point that they came up to us after the burial, and invited us to come to their house. We didn't want to do that. We didn't want to bother them, but they insisted, come. So as we drive to their house, we realized we're not the only ones that were invited, but everybody was invited. There were cars lined up down the street. We go into the house, and they were serving us, making sure we had, coming around asking, making sure we had everything we needed. It was an incredible example of peace and of Rest. And I saw as the time went on that I watched the father who had been on staff, I watched him just deal with, what he, with his loss with such confidence in Christ and his sovereignty, him being in charge. The other father refusing to accept what had happened and, and spending money and time trying to find answers to this. Not being able to, to rest in this. I saw victory in peace and rest compared to the defeat of this other family. There is victory. There is peace. There is rest for the believer, for the one who is in Christ, no matter what the storms may be. Not absence of pain and not absence from problems, but a victory in them because Jesus, who died, is alive according to Hebrews sits at the right hand of the majesty on high in the place of authority. So there is victory. Any thoughts about victory in resurrection? Okay, then I want to move on to looking at how the resurrected life brings change in direction. We see this in verses 1 to 9. We see a change, obviously, in Jonah. He was running from Nineveh. Now he's going to Nineveh. He had been going the opposite direction of Nineveh. He had been heading due west. Now he's turning around and he's going due east. He's going back. He's he's going to, uh, to Nineveh. Now, but there's also a change and direction we see from the citizens of Nineveh. What's interesting to me in the midst of this change is this: the Lord is not the one who changes. The Lord stays the same, but Jonah and Nineveh do the changing. This is consistent throughout Scripture. We know in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now that is something to hang on to. The one who is alive, the one who abides never changes. And I find comfort in that. When you find something true of the Lord in Genesis, you'll find it still true in Revelation. He does not change but the one who does change should be us. In Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that I mean that just really summarizes the book. That it's not about Jonah. It's all about God. Jonah simply gets to live in who it's all about. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who lives, who loved me and gave himself up for me. There is a change in direction here. We see the people in Nineveh in verse 5. We see that they believed. The people of Nineveh believed in God. If you do a simple word study of this, believed, you'll find that it includes the idea of trust. The same thing we find in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, whoever believes in Him. You've heard me say before that that word does not simply mean acceptance, mental acceptance of facts, but it means to entrust, to give yourself over to, to trust yourself to Christ. Whoever believes and trusts himself to me will not perish but have everlasting life. So there is a trust here, and the one who trusts will find there is a change involved. There is a change for the one who entrusts his life to Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In chapter 2 and starting in, well, let's just start in verse 1. Look at the change for the one who believes or entrusts his life to Christ. In verse 1 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, And you were dead, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were in the belly of the sea monster. You were dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh. I mean, this is it's a great commentary of, of the life of Jonah, and so a great commentary of our life. So so again, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places In Christ Jesus. So, you know, that phrase, that's a key phrase throughout the book. In Christ. And so we see here the the change that is brought about for one who has entrusted his life to Christ. But look, verse 7. So that. In the age to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There is a change. For the one who has entrusted his life to Christ. A lot of you know the story of Louis uh, Zapparini. Charlie, years ago, recommended the book from the pulpit. And uh, so I I got a copy of it and read it. Had no idea. I had no idea who the man was, how the story was going to end. So I had no idea he becomes a believer. Don't know why I didn't think that. You know, Charlie recommended the book from the pulpit. Maybe it's got something to do with that. And I remember reading throughout the whole story, and it's a, it's a thick book. I, I'm just reading, he doesn't come to Christ till toward the end, and I keep thinking, this is incredible that this is happening to this guy. He's, he's got to come to Christ. How could he not come to Christ? An incredible story of a man who grew up in California. He was kind of, rebe- not kind of, he was rebellious. And one of his older brothers pulled him aside and said, you know, you have got to straighten up. You've got to put your mind to something else. So he got him interested in running. And so he started to run track, and he got so good at it that he ended up uh, competing in the Olympics in uh, 1936. And he did so well uh, that uh, he, got, he, he drew the attention of Hitler, uh, who, who he met, I don't think he saw that as being that great of a thing, but he did, he, he met him. And then the war broke out and he joined up and he was, uh, on a, he was assigned to a bomber in the South Pacific. And incredible stories of how he and the crew got through some things that just doesn't make sense how they could have gotten through it. And Ended up being shot down and I think it was 47 days on a life raft, just floating around. He was captured along with one of his companions, and he had to uh, endure several P.L.W. camps, torture, uh, horrific stuff done to him, degrading things. There was one particular guard that was known simply as the bird that was just over the top with, uh, with mistreating the prisoners. Louis was definitely one of those. They, uh, the, the, the government, the Japanese government, took him because he had been a, uh, a celebrity of some kind in the States, and they tried to use him for propaganda, and uh, that didn't work out so well for him. He was, after the war, he was rescued and brought home, and dealing with all that had happened to him, uh, was was beyond him. He couldn't do it. It drove him to drink. He would have nightmares about the bird and how he had been mistreated uh, for those those years in the in the POW camps. And one night, his wife, who was just becoming desperate with what to do with him, uh, invited him to come to a Billy Graham crusade. And, Long story short, he came to Christ after hearing the message preached at the crusade. He entrusted his life to Christ. And this brought change. In 1950, he was brought back to Japan to be one of the witnesses in uh, the trials, some of the uh, war crime trials. And he was actually brought into a prison uh, in uh, Sugamaw. Sugamo, and there was brought face to face with prison guards. And in the book, it reads like this. The bird had forced him to live in incomprehensible degradation and violence. Bereaved of his dignity, Louis had come home to a life lost in darkness and had da- and had dashed himself against the memory of the bird. But on an October night in Los Angeles, that's when he came to Christ, the sense of shame and powerlessness that had driven his need to hate the bird vanished. The bird was no longer his monster. He was only a man. In Sugamo Prison, as he was told of the bird's fate, and at that time they thought the bird had died, And this was his initial thought of the man. All all Louis saw was a lost person. He felt something that he had never felt for his captor before. With a shiver of amazement, he realized that it was compassion. At that moment, something shifted sweetly inside him. It was forgiveness, beautiful and effortless and complete. For Louis, the war was over. Before Louis left Sugamo, the colonel who was attending him asked Louis's former guards to come forward. So there's a room full of guards. In the back of the room, the prisoners stood up, shuffled into the aisle. They moved hesitantly, looking up at Louis with small faces. Louis was seized by childlike, giddy exuberance. Before he realized what he was doing, he was bounding down the aisle in bewilderment. The men who had abused him watched him come to them, his hands extended and radiant smile on his face. He would later find out that there was a chance of meeting the bird and it didn't work out. So what he did is he wrote a letter to him, forgiving him there was a change as a result of entrusting his life to Christ yes sir they, made a movie. they did yeah and like all movies not as good as the book but i'm really glad they made a movie <laughs> How, if you've read the book there's no way they could make a movie yeah it's, it would just it would take a week to watch it if they covered all the detail but the book's called unbroken um What was that? Okay. Any other thoughts on this? That the resurrected life brings a change in direction? Okay. Next point is that the resurrected life is not lived, consumed with our glorified, it's not consumed with our. Glorifying self. In our text, I see this in verses 5 to 9 as the people respond, the people of Nineveh respond to the message preached. They, They believe and they change in how they're living and actually cry out to God. There is... The the resurrected life is not one that's lived consumed with ourself. Again, in the New Testament, go to Philippians chapter 3. And this is how Paul Paul explains it himself. Beginning in verse 7, familiar words to us. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The resurrected life is not one that's consumed with myself. And we see it played out in our text. We see how they are, what they are doing is the opposite of being fixated and consumed with self. First of all, we see the fasting. The people of Nineveh, verse 5, believed in God and they called a fast. And in verse 6, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, lay aside his robes, covered himself, and then in verse 70, issued a proclamation and said, "In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let man, beast, herd or flock, taste a thing." We see them fast. God sees their wickedness. We know that from chapter one, verse two. He sees their wickedness, and we find that they're living from this. They're all about themselves. When they hear the message preached, they then proclaim a fast. And the whole idea of fasting, we know. I think I've seen it explained in a very clear way like this. Fasting is simply taking our eyes off of this world, off of ourselves, and turning our attention to Christ. Fasting changes us it does not change God in Matthew 6 verses 16 to 18 the Lord says this whenever you fast do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting truly I say to you they have their reward in full but you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. So in other words, clean up, take a shower. So that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, secret will reward you. We see throughout Acts, we see the same thing happening. We see... Uh, you know, there's the, the fasting before Paul is sent out. Paul and Silas are sent out, and you understand what's going on when you look at these. When you look at this passage, there is a turning to the Lord of, with dependence on Him. Then we go on and we see some other things in verses five, six, and eight. We see that they put on sackcloth. What in the world is sackcloth? Well, there's a few things here to understand about it. First of all, it was coarse fabric. So not real comfortable. It was woven goat hair. They wore it as a sign of repentance. And also of mourning and grief. They recognized their sinfulness and their need for God's forgiveness. It was uncomfortable, it was itchy, and it was irritating. And if you have sensitive skin like me, it must be just horrific. And it was usually black, representing sorrow. Also, in verse 6, we see that the king sits on ashes. Now you see that in other parts of scripture. Why? Why are they doing this? Well, it's a sign of desolation and ruin. What a proclamation. And of grief and humility. Now they're recognizing this of themselves. They see themselves as being black, uh, in grief, in ruin. They're repenting of this, but I think what's interesting in the midst of this, though they recognize themselves for who and what they were, they didn't stay there. In verse 8 it says, let men call on God. They didn't stay there in the recognition of their blackness, but they call on God. I find the same thing true in Moses' life. I think it was uh, last week when Jeff mentioned something about Moses, and this is what we were talking about. He's before God at the burning bush, and this is the conversation that goes on. Now, remember, Moses is the one who, when he was a younger man, thought, and we know from from the uh, book of Acts, he you know he thought he was he was God's answer to the problems of the nation, the Hebrews. And uh, he was, but not the way Moses thought he was. And so Moses, who thought he was all that at age 40, had to run away, hide on the backside of the desert. And when he was 80 years old, what he was able to accomplish was to go from prince of Egypt to working for his father-in-law, taking care of his father-in-law's flock. And uh, this is what happens. God tells him, I'm going to send you back to get my people out. And Moses said to God, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Then Moses said to God, Behold, in verse 13, he says, Behold, uh, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You see what's going on here in Exodus 3. He first says, who am I? I am. I am black. I am or I am a ruin. Who am I? But he doesn't stay there in verse 14 verse 13. He says, who are you? So God's got him at the place where he's ready for this now. And so God says in verse 14, I am who I am. And he says, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this word am grabbed my attention once and I wanted to understand better. What is God saying when he says his name is I am? So I looked up the word am and it was interesting. I found in the simple word study, how many different ways the word am is translated in only the Old Testament. And this is what I found. Remember, this is what God is saying, I am. What does it mean? To fall out, come to pass, become, be, act, administrated, allotted, am, appeared, apply, become, became his, and lived, become, becomes, becoming, been, been done, befall, or uh, yeah, befall, befallen, being, belong, belonged, belongs, brought, came, came to being, came expressly, cause, caused, come, come, of uh, course, uh, come to pass, comes, committed, consist, continue, continued, correspond, decided, done, ended, endure, event, exhausted, existed, e- exists, extend, extended, fall, fallen, fared, fell, follow, followed, form, Gave, give, go, gone, grown, had, had not been, had been, had belonged, happen, happened, happens, has, has become, has had, have, have become, have place, having, held, help, indeed, keep, instead, last, lay, left, lies, lived, lives, made, marry, marrying, numbered, occur, occurred, occurs, own, placed, possessed, present, pressed, Qualify, ran, reach, reached, realized, receive, received, remain, remained, remains, rest, rested, resulted, running, seemed, serve, show, sold, surely become, surely come, surely come to pass, sustains, take, take place, taken, taken place, time, took place, turn, turned, turned, used, used, waited, where, and went. So what's he saying with this? I think this is what the Lord is trying to communicate. Moses, name your discouragement, and I am your encouragement. Name your confusion, and I am your clarity, your pain, and I am your healing, your storm, and I am your calm. Jesus gives some definition to the same phrase, I am. When he says this. In John 6:35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In John 8:12, again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of light. In John ten nine and 11, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pas- pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes me, believes in me, shall live even if he dies. John 14 6 Jesus said to him I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me and in John 15 5 I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing name your discouragement Jesus says I am your encouragement your confusion and I am your clarity your pain and I am your healing your storm and I am your calm. The resurrected life is not lived consumed with our glorifying yourself. The resurrected life brings change. Every once in a while, alumni will send a letter to us. Charlie and I got one this last week through the website, and just a part of it uh, reads like this. Dear Charlie and Kelly, I attended His Hill Bible School in 1992 from January to May. Although it was only five months, it's hard to underestimate the impact His Hill had on my life. I do not think that if I had not gone to the Hill that I would have run off like the prodigal, but... I may have been well on my way to being the self-righteous older brother that never really understood grace. It was when I was at his hill that God grabbed me in a new way. And over the next 30 years, he has been faithful to allow me to live in that grace. You see, it's not about us. It's all about him. He simply allows us to live in who it's all about. Currently, my family and I serve as missionaries with OMF in Taiwan, and he goes on to tell us about the ministry. The resurrected life is one of victory. It is one of change. It is not consumed with ourself, but with Jesus, who is I am. So let me ask you, are you living the victory? Are you living His change? Are you living entrusting your life to Jesus? Are you living changed? Okay, now, any thoughts? Your lack of activity today has made it end really early. <laughs> so you got nine minutes. I think it's very
1: interesting that um, Jeremiah spoke so long to the Israelites and they would not repent and turn around. And they had the gospel, I mean, not the gospel, but they had a new God from, from there to the law. And yet, they. Um, Syrians were godless people, had no history with God, and this one message, and they turn around. And it just amazes me to think that here are God's people hearing all these years,
0: and they just go right over their head. Yeah, some commentators talk about how it was a message of just a few words, and it brought a change. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Kelly, so the thing that stands out to me about Jonah is he's so resistant to God initially. And, he's, <clears throat> and it's his own will, right? Yeah. And, and he doesn't want to do what God has for him. Right. He wants to do what he wants to do. Right. And, and then he finally comes to an understanding of God in his prayer in the fish. And when he comes out, he's, he's changed, obviously. And, and he does what God tells him to do. But he barely gets one day. Mm-hmm. And he says, I mean, he doesn't even, it's a three day walk. And it's almost as if this is the first thing he says, and there's this amazing revival. And so clearly it's not from what, it's not from Jonah's right. great skill, right oratory skill. I agree. Right? It's God that can use very, very little. Yeah. In fact, God uses Jonah before that with the men on the Right, yeah. When... You know, so, so God can use us even when we're not yeah. doing what he asks us to do. He's still going to do yeah. what he's going to do. And so to me, it's on God and how much God does with so little of what Jonah says. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's what stands out to me about the whole thing. It's not so much about how much Jonah changes, but how much God does with right.
0: so little. Right, right. And I think, again, the change is what God has done. Yeah, so again, it comes back to the Lord.
2: And I think God saves Jonah in that yeah. experience as well because he doesn't understand God's grace.
0: Right. Yeah, Israel. it starts with the people. By the time the king declares the It's already happening. <laughs> Yeah.
3: So so I just, going off what Kevin was saying, you know, God was at work. God knew what was going on in the hearts of the Ninevites. And he chose to.
1: I think
0: Jonah died in the fish i i understand why people think that there's some interesting reading you know within the the chapter 2 on that uh, and it certainly would amplify <laughs> you know the the whole the whole conversation about resurrection um, and there are, some, there are some very conservative theologians that embrace that thought um, dogmatically. I, I, I don't. I, and it's not so much that I'm dogmatic in thinking the way I'm thinking e- either. I, I, but, I, but what I have come to in thinking through that is that there is one common thing that both camps agree on, is that this is... A picture or a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Christ, and so from that we can go forward and see. Okay, then what's the result of this? What should be the experience of the death and resurrection of Christ for the one that that believes? What about you? I, you
1: know, I'm, I'm, yeah. But it, so I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm on the fence on that. Uh, it isn't necessary. It certainly isn't explicit. Mm-hmm. But in, in the Has to have been written after the fact. Right. Just because of the tenses and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where where the book ends with Jonas sitting and pouting Mm -hmm. on the hillside, and I don't want to steer your thunder next time,
0: but you know, you think, what an ending. What a lousy ending. Yeah, really. Uh, And yet you know
1: he wrote the book. Yeah. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so something had to have happened. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. and the psalm in chapter two, I think, does describe the transformation, mm. because it's it's a sort of a post-event <coughs> depiction mm-hmm. of something that changed in him. And if you want to talk about the transformation of resurrection,
2: you know, it's it's like that. Um, he experienced salvation He gives thanks and vows of praise.
0: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I'm
2: not sure if he died physically. you raised my life from the pit, you know? But he certainly died uh, um, to himself, mm-hmm. you know? Which is yeah. the representation of, of repentance. Uh, right. Coming to a new, you know, and I think that death to self has to come before the new life. Yeah, you
1: know? I, I don't know if I'm inclined to go that far because I'm, I'm still on the fence about the physical death, but uh, he doesn't change. Yeah, until after the castro yeah, right. plant yeah. dies. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it, like the fish didn't get to him. But when he reflects on it, then he has a change of heart. he he Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and we can profit from that. Okay. Hey, I have one more question. Yeah. Can we do Seven. it in those 60, and 50 seconds? Yeah. All right.
2: Well, I don't know. This might be something <laughs> that you'll have to go contemplate on. Um, I'm, I'm. I find it interesting that Jonah's name is the same name that's used in Genesis eight eight for the dove, mm. and that that three times is sent out. And I and I was wondering if you thought there was any correlation there.
0: I hadn't thought about that, but that is an interesting question. Okay, then let's pray. Porter, would you lead us, please? <laughs>